Booyah, and it's time for the Game Sports Show. It is your host, David McCaig Jr., bringing you another special edition upload powered by the Game Entertainment and Media and sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. Now, getting to our Little Caesars special edition co-host here for tonight's upload. You know him by now, I'm sure. He's a former professional hockey player of over 1,000 games, and he's a hockey analyst for the Game Entertainment and Media. Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how's it going, pal? It's going good, man. It's nice to be back. Been off for a while, so looking forward to today's show. Certainly. It's going to be another electrifying show, if you will. Now, getting to our Little Caesar Special Edition guests. Now, I must warn my listeners that, of course, these intros are quite lengthy. So, you know what? Grab your pint, preferably from Northern Superior Brewing Company. Get settled in because getting to this guest, first off, Holy fuck, he's tough as nails. He's an Alberta boy, drafted 7th round, 227th overall in 2003, the Tampa Bay Lightning. He played for the old Grizzlies in the AJHL for a few seasons before attending University of Minnesota Duluth, which was before his trails in professional hockey within the East Coast Hockey League, American Hockey League, NHL, and eventually the EIHL. In his career in the professional ranks, he played in over 650 games, just under 2,000 penalty minutes in total. And within the NHL, he dressed for 117 games, totaling five goals, three assists, and 352 penalty minutes with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Philadelphia Flyers. Within his professional ranks in the EIHL, he actually played for the same team as our co-host Brendan Brooks played for, the Clan. Fun fact, when he scored his first NHL goal, I briefly remember seeing it, I must add, uh, which was in the 2009-2010 season when he scored against the Pittsburgh Penguins and goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury. Everyone knows him as the Flower. You can search up this fella's fights on YouTube, some dandies on there, let me tell you. And we've had some enforcers on the show, but this guy comes up to be one of the toughest on that list. Now, retired after his final season 2017-2018, the one and only Jay Rosehill. Jay, welcome to the show. Pumped to have you. Well, boys, thank you for the intro. That was pretty nice here. You dug up some stuff I didn't even know about, but uh, thanks for having me. Definitely. You know, we like to have fun with those introductions. And you know what? I had that written. I didn't memorize that. I must. <laughs> I, I hope not. Oh, if I had that memorized, I... Yeah. I no, that would be some sort of record or miracle. <laughs> we do call you Rain Man for a reason. <laughs> That's right. But I butcher everyone's last name, though, and city names. Brooks, you know that better than anybody. Oh, yeah. I, it I happens did. a lot. We it did does. It today, though. You got it right. There we go. There we go. Now, let's go to the post opener. And, of course, getting to our usual post opener, we call it the icebreaker, if you will. Uh, you grew up in Alberta, Jay. Were you an Oilers fan or a Flames fan growing up, or was there another team you cheered for? I was a Flames fan growing up. We uh, were just closer to Calgary, I guess. And my dad kind of liked the Flames more. And then just by default, I liked the Flames more. And I didn't really hate on the Oilers or anything. There's always that some guys that just can't stand the other team in Alberta. But I was all good with the Oilers, but definitely cheered for the Flames over over anybody else when I was growing up. You know, definitely Calgary is a great organization, and we actually had Theo Fleury, obviously a flame legend, on our show. And, you know, definitely the team that they had when they won the Stanley Cup with Gary Roberts, with Theo, with Vernon and all that, that it was certainly a tough-as-nails team and something that you can relate to being, you know, something as tough as nails. And let's transition to that first topic. We're getting to that topic. I want to start right away with enforcement. Okay, now a role that you did play when you played hockey, in particular in the National Hockey League, uh, the game just seems to be pulling away from that more and more each year, right? Like body contacts being taught later now, for sure, looking out from a safety perspective, of course, which is key. But 
This is a question we have brought up on these special editions and our new shows. What is your view from the game it is now, which has changed significantly in not only just the past 10 years, the past five years, compared to 5, 10, 15 years ago, and which quote-unquote era do you think is more enjoyable? Like when you had the game then, when you played into it, it was now, which wasn't too long ago. Was it more enjoyable from when you played and before that, or do you think the game, the way it's transitioning, is more enjoyable now? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, if you're watching or if you're playing or what kind of player you are. I mean, if you're a if you're a soft or skilled guy that just wants a lot of ice and a lot of room out there, and you want to do your thing with your hands and and make the plays, then obviously you're you're not going to be too into the physical stuff. But um, I mean, to to me, maybe I'm biased and just because of where I grew up and 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 what I grew up watching. But you know, that mid to late '90s hockey, like Colorado, Detroit, the brawls they were having. I mean, every guy on the team would scrap you didn't just have like one or two meatheads who go and do like a staged fight for no reason and it's just kind of a a hug fest um and it's not just kind of scripted almost but just every guy is just going to war everyone's leaking everyone's sweating bleeding i mean the intensity is just through the roof I, I don't think you could watch or play any better hockey than that so i think that's the best hockey to to watch and to play but as far as nowadays go i mean there's no denying how good the league is, how good the players are, how skilled they are. I mean, if you just go watch the highlights, I mean, the highlights that you watch are, are just ridiculous, right? What these kids are doing these days. And I think it's kind of the same with any, with any sport you look, these kids have been specializing in this sport since they were eight and they've had nutritionists and sports psychologists and strength trainers. And, and the list goes on and on with what they've done to put into their game. And I think that's why you're seeing these, these ridiculously skilled players in, in every sport these days and hockey's no exception. But I mean, personally, I liked the physical stuff. I love watching the physical stuff. I, I was a little more frustrated right when I kind of retired at where the game was at. And I think I've probably chilled a little bit on it now, but to watch the game and when some intensity starts to, to, to come into play and things start to boil over, you just watch the refs come and just cut the, cut it down. They jump in on the game and they, put one guy in the box, they settle it all down and they just, they won't let that, that intensity kind of rise, which I thought was the best hockey in the world to watch and be part of. So it does get frustrating, but after watching some playoff hockey and whatnot, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit better brand for sure. Guys are still running each other, getting each other's face. So it's hard to say, but personally, I, I wish this tough stuff was still in there and, and the guys and the refs would let it play. And it wasn't such a power play penalty kill game, but uh, there's no denying the skill the kids have these days. So you know about fighting. Yeah, yeah, I fought a lot. Not not guys, not too many guys of uh, Jay's size, but, uh, you know, I mean, it was something I did a fair amount of, you know, in the AHL and that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, the game's definitely, as Jay said, it's getting a little softer. And, and I miss the old-time hockey. I miss the 90s uh, hockey, the fights. Even the fans looked even more into the games back then. Uh, you know, when you watch the old games that have been on the TV and – you know, I can't get over how great, uh, you know, the fans are. They're, you know, they just seem like more diehard than they are uh, at the moment. They do. And like teaching hitting, too, at a later age, right? Like, I, I'm not too sure what the regulations are in Alberta. I think it follows everything with, with Hockey Canada. I be the same uh, but from teaching like hitting at a later age, you have people that aren't really hitting until the peewee major, the bantam level, which I think is yeah. absolutely right like you have somebody who is going to be 13 14 15 years old whatever it may be top of my head and i'm not getting ages right but you have 
kids that are going to be in their teenagers that are going to be starting to hit, they're not going to know how to do it properly, right? Like you got to learn at that young age, okay? And you have to learn how to properly hit, which actually transitions to that aggressiveness in the game where you can control it. Now, when kids get hit in the Bantam level, when they first do get hit, they're going to get frustrated. It's going to cause them to do something stupid, in my opinion, where I swear the game is getting softer, but the the way it was before – Jay, when you were there, when you had uh, the big net, when you had the Frazier McLarens, the Colt Norris, the Marty McSorley's, if you want to go far that far back, those are players that are needed to be in the game. Like, obviously, in today's game, you have Ryan Reeves. You have some guys that are known as tough. But no offense to Ryan Reeves. That guy wouldn't even think about dropping the mitts with him ever, nor would I probably drop the mitts in general. Okay, but there's a <laughs> lot of tough guys, including yourself, Jay, that would give him a very good go, okay, from when I remember watching the game from the from the early to mid to uh, thousands to the tens. It's completely, completely changed, and the skill out there, you got guys that are like Mitch Marner size or you have guys that are, uh, you know, Cole Caulfield size where they when they're playing in playoff games, they wouldn't have left the playoffs without something broken, right? They wouldn't have uh, – they would have had to have those people like – like the Ryan Reeves or the Biznets yourself, guys protecting them in those big games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it goes without saying that it's changed. I mean, Ryan Reeves is like the first guy that comes to mind when you think of like the toughest guy in the game right now. But I mean, he was in the league when I was in the league, and he wasn't he wasn't the toughest guy in the league at all. But uh, certainly tough, and he always was, and he is. But he wasn't the number one go to guy by any stretch. I mean, you go back to like the Bugards and some of those big boys. It's just like scary and um you know they they were getting out of hand at the time where at i don't know what you'd call it maybe oh seven oh eight or something like some of these big guys that could hardly skate and were kind of shouldn't have really been in the league at all you got to kind of bring something besides the toughness factor but that's definitely gone and reeves has done a great job keeping himself in the league but um it's just i mean even if i were to learn hitting right now you talk about the kids learning it and i don't really agree either with them starting off so late learning how to do body contact because like you said you got these kids at an age I remember being 14 years old and we had kids on our team who might as well have been 10 years old and we had kids on the team that might as well have been 18 you know the people are going through puberty at different ages and they've got their growth spurts hit and they're growing beards and they're damn near men and then you got these other kids who haven't even begun starting and that's when you're going to learn how to hit each other it's I had my reservations about it but I talked to and I did a coaching clinic at hockey alberta and we talked about that a little bit and they say the stats say that kids are, aren't getting hurt any more than they were they're getting hurt less so call it what it was but if 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 i were just starting off young and teaching say i'm the one teaching kids how to hit i wouldn't even know where to begin because my biggest problem with the nhl is is what's an illegal hit what's legal what's not like a guy like a caulfield or something just puts his head up his ass basically and drives right down the middle of the ice he just thinks to himself well I, my head's buried and i can't be touched because there's no way you can hit that guy unless you catch a piece of his head being that small and having his head leading its way down the ice how do you body check that guy like the whole head contact thing is frustrating i understand you're trying to prevent concussions and protect the players and whatnot but is it body contact or is it not there's so much attention drawn to fighting and how we take fighting out of hockey but look at the statistics the amount of concussions given over fights is it's not even it's minuscule compared to the amount that happen because of body contact. So if you if you're really serious about getting concussions out of the game, well then it can't be a, a contact sport. You can't allow body checking because that's where it all comes from. Yet 
there's you're you're allowed to do it there's legal body checking but if the guy happens to turn his back at the last minute or the guy leads with his head and you know how fast that game is especially in that league I just don't understand what's legal and what's not. And they go through the video with a fine tooth comb and put it in super slow-mo at five different angles to decide if this guy's going to get 10 games or not. I just think it's bullshit because uh, players have no onus to protect themselves. When's the last time you heard anyone say, pick your head up or keep your head up? It's like, it's a term that was used every fucking day when we played and now it's non-existent. Like it doesn't even exist. You're, you're protecting yourself by putting your head down and going straight up or turning your back to the player and leading with your head into the boards that's that you're protecting yourself because basically you've made yourself ineligible to get hit and it's just i see it all the time and i just shake my head because everyone points at the guy that hit the guy who did something fucking stupid and put himself in a terrible position that you would just you wouldn't even think of doing playing 10 15 years ago and that guy gets hurt and he lays on the ice and the trainers come out and the guy gets suspended 10 games gets kicked out and then that guy you know, is probably out there on the power play, but he it put himself in that position and no one talks about protecting yourself, getting up against the boards, keeping your head up, absorbing a hit. There's none of that, even in the NHL. And it's embarrassing because I watch all the time, like a defenseman, like in this in the league this day, they are so fucking good on their edges. Their balance is impeccable. The off off ice training that they do in the summertime, it's all one-legged this and plyometrics and just beyond belief what these guys do and what they're capable of. And then you go into the corner with a D-man and you give him like a little push on the hip and he just fucking completely falls down, yard sails his gloves and his stick and crashes into the boards. It's it's embarrassing. And then he goes and gets a five-minute major drawn on the other guy and the coach pats him on the back and they go on the power play and end up winning the game because of that because they get two on the five-minute power play. It's, it's frustrating to watch. That's probably the biggest problem I have with the league right now is it's just they can't decide if they're allowed to play hit hockey or not. And no one's talking about these players protecting themselves. They're talking about the other guy protecting the player who puts himself in a shitty position. Such a good point. Oxy, like, how frustrating is it from your end to watch for somebody who has played, obviously? And, you know, it's changed from when you played. You're a bit older than what Jay is. I believe you might have seven years on Jay around that area. And he's a lot. He's a lot older than me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, for me, like Jay was saying, my watching hockey now, my biggest problem is is seeing these guys turn right before. They, they actually know the hit's coming, but they know they're not going to get hit if they turn. So they instantly are turning and putting themselves, as Jay said, in these horrible positions to actually really get hurt. But, the, you know, I mean, the suspensions that are going to come and, and, and they know it, you know, they know the guy's going to have to find a way to get out of his way and not hit him. Yeah. It's a bunch of grab stuff, too. Like, the, if you watch vintage games that are on ESPN and myself saying ESPN freely because they're a partner of the show, just so everybody knows why I'm name dropping a company. Uh, <laughs> media brand is not a flex it's just because i have the ability to do so but they have a lot of those games that they have those classics and you see the games like one of the biggest missed calls in history is the la king's game between gretzky and gilmore i won't get into that that's not a leafs bias or anything <laughs> talking about the ref inconsistency is is what's a big problem for me today watching and i know that's been an ongoing issue and throughout the entirety of this uh, previous season into the playoffs but you watch those games in the 80s and the 90s and you watch the clutch and grabs you wouldn't be able to skate down the side without scott stevens giving you a bruise on your leg or hitting you and sure you know what you don't want to get a huge whack behind the leg sure that would be that shitty if you're forward uh, but you know what having that big hit or you know putting the 
like not grabbing someone around the the whole waist, but having them tie up against the boards more freely or kind of use your stick a little bit. You know, that's that's the kind of game that I miss is that late 90s, early thousands kind of uh, type of uh, kind of tempo. But now as a transition with the lockout and, they, and from previously and all the lockouts that they had and they're protecting their players and just the overall inconsistencies from the refs and players uh, diving. It's so evident that people are diving and I – I, obviously, Nazem Kadri did that real well when he played in Toronto. I think he was the king of doing uh, kind of embellishing the play. But that's what I see a lot. You alluded to the the turning, Brooksy, like turning away from the hit. That that is a big part of it. You have a guy like Shea Weber of Montreal who is an absolute fear fearless individual and a scary guy if you're in the corner and you're let's say you're a small guy in the corner like a Mitch Marner or something you turn your body you take that hit and you fall down you're going to get the power play for your team now it's just that the game is so inconsistent from the ref standpoint it's because some refs call the stick conflictions some of them call the hits some of them don't some of them keep the whistles in their pockets some of them are really active on the whistle some guys like to have their name echoed throughout the arena calling penalties right it's it's just that that is my biggest issue is the inconsistencies with the referees i feel like before it wasn't that inconsistent i don't know if you have any i think to add with that point jay but it's it seems like the inconsistencies are huge with the ref now in comparison to what it was yeah i don't think like it's funny because during covid and whatnot i think is when the classics came on uh, the TV and ESPN, like you said, there's like, um, you know, 80s and early 90s games on and you're watching, you're just laughing because you cannot believe the hooking and holding and clutching and grabbing. Like, no wonder guys could smoke darts in between periods and whatnot, because <laughs> you just you didn't have to move out there. You couldn't move even if you wanted to. Guys just water skiing behind you the whole time. And I don't want to bring that back. I'm not saying that's that's the answer, because. I don't think that produces like the best hockey that we can put out there. But the thing is, I, I think the refs kind of struggle for consistency because they don't know what the fucking rule is. It's not black and white either. Either this guy has the puck, you can hit him or you can't. It's not, well, you can hit him as long as the first point of contact isn't his head. Like, fuck off. That's not going to work. That, and it's not working. That's why guys are frustrated. That's why this guy gets suspended. That guy doesn't. This guy calls it. That doesn't. This guy got away with it. This guy got buried by it. And it's just... It's too hard to call that way, but I mean, uh, the lawyers get involved and they start suing leagues and the NFL doles out 700 million and the NHL's on a hook for not protecting their players, knowing about concussions. And they just, they can't as a business, they can't do it. And they got to do what they can to try to limit the concussions. And that's what they're doing. But it's just a game that can't be, that just can't be played properly that way, in my opinion. And I'm sure the guys like the fact that they're not really going to get hit if they, just lead lead the way with their head and know that no one's allowed to hit them. It's probably nice for those Mitch Marners and whatnot, but I think, like you said, there's just a lot of inconsistency on what's what's allowed and what's not. I also find, you know, the game has gotten, you know, you talked about it a little bit earlier, how fast the game has gotten. The speed of everything now in this small arena, uh, I find it, it must not be easy to be a ref. Like, compared to back in the day, you could, you know, I mean, the refs used to saunter up the ice now. You know, some of the best skaters on the ice are your refs yeah. and linesmen. It's pretty impressive to watch. But, you know, I find uh, the game has just gotten so fast and just, you know, I mean, the equipment's better. Every, the changes, you know, you know, to have just, you know, four eyes there on, on to make uh, penalty calls. You know, I mean, I just don't know if that's enough uh, right now. And that's why I also find it to be hard for these refs to make these calls because, you know, it's hap everything's happening so much faster. And, uh, it, I mean, I think that's part of an issue too. 
Yeah, agreed. I think it would be hard just to keep up with the game. Like you're you're getting on your horse trying to follow the play and keep up with these guys these days, let alone try to watch every tiny little infraction when, you know, you're at ice level. It makes it pretty tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, you know, I've been saying this for years is they need to go to the like the big ice like in Europe and keep the game the way it was, you know, lots of hitting, lots of everything, because you have that extra time to protect yourself, you know, on on the bigger ice. I think the bigger ice would be a huge difference for a lot of things, because, you know, I mean, it definitely I played 12 years in Europe. It definitely if I stayed in North America, I might not have been able to play that long. Yeah, it's, it'd be interesting to see if they could, like, try it out for an exhibition, but it's just, it's not as easy as just changing a rule or something. Like, you gotta, you probably gotta yeah. knock out a bunch of seats and, like, make, yeah. that, and that's make the that ice bigger. Yeah. It'd be fun to see, like, an outdoor game done that way or something, just to, just to see what it's like for those guys in that league this, this day and age to play on the big ice. would be, be interesting. I don't think it would be bad. Then you got guys like Connor McDavid, with, who obviously is the fastest person ever to skate i believe uh obviously but you have uh, guys that are really impressive defensively as well like for a big guy victor Hedman's an example of a defenseman who has good footwork it can literally lay you the fuck out <laughs> and it's yeah. and he, that's another scary guy and that's what's you know the outdoor games you mentioned that it, it, i love the outdoor games people don't but to bring forward something with make the ice pad a little bit bigger guys like mckinnon Crosby still, despite you know how he's getting older, he's still Sidney Crosby. Connor McDavid, those type of guys on that ice service having a bit bigger, a bit more room. Yes, that speed would be there, but to see the extra hitting that Brooksy alluded to would be so interesting to see. Uh, Brooksy, going into our next topic. Yeah, no, I just want to bring up you know uh, your fights. You know, I mean, you had I've watched uh, quite a few of them actually, and you had some really big ones there. We you know like Paul Bissonnette, Colton Orr, Fraser McLaren, Thornton. Elon Lucic, you know, you know, can you, you know, tell me, you know, did you know that you were going to fight these guys before the game when you're playing, you know, was there any, you know, texting? Did you know any of these guys? I'm just curious, you know, and to fill our listeners in, you know, how before a game or were you a situational fighter, you know, cause I know we've had guys on the show, you know, they knew before the game and had talked to guys that they were going to be fighting uh, the night before, you know, the night before. So I'm just curious, you know, how did a lot of your fights uh, end up happening? Yeah, they wouldn't. Um, I mean, if, if you get told you're playing tomorrow and you know that it's because you're playing the Islanders and they have X, Y, Z guys on there that could all scrap, then you have an idea that you're there to, you know, either protect from that, those guys running around or else, you know, go one of the guys if needed be. But it's, it was very rare for me to know I was fighting before the game. I wouldn't be texting guys or anything like that. Maybe you're stretching uh, in warm up, and, you know, a guy will come by and suffer Ozzy, hey, I need one tonight, like uh, I'll be looking for it or some shit like that. And you'll be like, well, I guess, I guess we're scrapping tonight. But that's usually just a guy that's like in the same boat as you. He's trying to stay in the lineup. He's trying to make an impression. He just got traded there. He wants to whatever the case may be. And then you might you might honor that or whatever and and you'll have a scrap but i almost always just like let the game see what it's doing i mean if we're up three rip at the end of the first you know i'm gonna do my best not to scrap anybody because obviously we got the momentum we got them on their heels i don't want to do anything to get their crowd in i don't want to do anything to change uh the momentum of the game so you'll try not and and that's usually when guys are coming after you but if you're a guy that does that the next time that you're in the other situation you try to scrap a guy he's going to tell you to fuck off because you wouldn't give him one last week or whatever but uh almost always they were they just came organically i just 
we'd do a face-off and I'd just, hey, are you ready? You want one? You want one? Let's go. And then away you go or else the best ones, the best ones you could ever get in are ones where you're just battling in the corner and push and shove and then a stick and a glove comes up in the face and fuck you, fuck you. And then the shit just comes off and away you go. That's <laughs> There's nothing better than that when you're just already rocking. But like, yeah, you're in the moment. Totally. And then it's just that there's nothing better than that. And I, I guess that's just I love the hockey where it's just pure emotion and it's intensity and the, the lid just boils off and everyone does what they want to do. I, I love that shit. But um, like if you have to say you got to go. I remember one time I had to fight uh, Mike Rupp. It was Latang. I was back checking. Latang gave me like a whack on my back of my leg and I turned around and I lift. I just one hand lifted my stick up into his crotch and said, the fuck are you doing? And then he he grabs his fucking his his crotch and he falls down to the ice save. And then so I get a I get a penalty. Bill McCreary was refing. He comes in. He like steps into the penalty box and his whole body's in the penalty box. And he is motherfucking me as hard as he can. And he's going, that's fucking American League bullshit, you piece of shit. And he's laying into me. And I'm like and like Billy, I'm like, watch the replay, man. I go, it's Latang. He's the biggest rat in the world. And, you know, he's just embellishing. It's like settled down, like, fuck off. He's yelling at me like I'm, he's my dad. <laughs> So then next time I get out of the box and we're doing a face off and uh, Mike Rupp comes up and he's like, hey, Rosie, you spear him or what? And I go, no, I didn't spear him. I said, watch the fucking tape. I didn't spear Latang. I don't need to spear Latang. Fuck off. And he's like, well, we got to go anyway. You know that. And I said, "Okay, we're going. And then um, it was a TV timeout. So I'm skating around and then I'll fuck. There's a big chunk out of the ice. So the ref had to like stop and I think they went to another commercial and they had to fix the ice and the crew came on. I'm just skating around. It must have been like six seven minutes of just waiting to fight Mike Rupp and it seemed like an eternity and I mean there's you just want to get going and get it over with but that's kind of the worst thing in the world when you know you got to fight a guy and you just got to wait and wait and wait like those MMA guys and whatever that got a fight in like two months and they just train for the one fight I just think it'd be the worst thing in the world I just love to go now and get it done yeah a hundred percent. I, you know, I was just curious as, uh, you know, we've had a lot of guys and I have some good buddies that, you know, we're in the same role as you. And, and I know you guys really know, you know, when the right time is to go. And, uh, I'm just curious, you know, have you ever had, you know, coaches that have, uh, you know, said, Hey, you got to go, you know, when you're kind of cold, not thinking about it and said, Hey, you got to get out and go, go. I'm just curious how that, you know, how you handled those situations. Cause like you said, you like, you're like a situational kind of guy that liked to fight like that. So I'm just curious, you ever had those moments where you just completely not even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden now you got to go. No guys ask me all the time. Like how many times did the coach just kick you in the ass and say, go say, go fight him, go fight them. Like that happened to me once in my career. And Darren rumble was my coach in uh fuck. We were in Norfolk, I guess. And we were playing in Albany and this guy named Mike Angelitis, I don't even know what he did. He was kind of being a dick out there, but um, he was coming off the ice and there was a line change and Rumble just started kicking my ass and he grabbed the other guy on the other line that was going on. He just started kicking me saying, Rosie, go, Rosie, go. And he just pushed the other guy down to the bench. And I just jumped over the bench, saw the guy coming off and I pretty much jumped him. And it was just, and then I was like, what the fuck was that Rumble? I was like, all this, like, I'll fuck it. I know when to go and when to I was kind of pissed off at him. And that was honestly the only time I got told to go out and fight in my whole career, junior and everything otherwise. Um, but I just, I guess I always prided myself on knowing when to, and I just, I, I think I was pretty perceptive on the momentum of the game and you could just feel like the ice is tilted and you're always in your zone and we're on our heels and no one can make a play. No one can get any space. And it's just kind of the whole bench is frustrated. And I'll just look up at the coach and be like, 
like get me the fuck out like let's go our, our line our line let's go and then i'll just jump over and just run around try to hit a couple guys and then if, look for the guy that's willing to scrap me and then find then just fucking fight and then the whole bench stands up the whole crowd gets into it the fucking i just love the sound of sticks and gloves hitting the ice and then everyone's looking around whistle goes what's going on what's going on two guys are fighting everyone has a fucking stands up and watches and it's just like hitting the reset button on a fucking nintendo like everything stops and then you drop the puck and it's like fresh start you know you're not on your heels anymore like new the momentum's up for grabs now and 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 that's kind of what i loved about it is you could just stop the fucking game completely and everyone watches what's going on and it happens to be a fight and it's intense and exciting and then you know you can sway a game you know in in your direction by kind of stopping what's been going on all the momentum they have it's such a fast game that momentum's so huge and if you can stop that and and stop the bleeding and reset you know there's nothing better than you get in a fight and while you're in the penalty box your team scores one or two goals or whatever you're like fucking right so that was the you know you're probably i'm probably patting myself on the back for doing absolutely nothing but it's <laughs> it seemed like your heart was in the right place and you can kind of change the outcome or the momentum of a game by by getting in a fight which is pretty unique to hockey you obviously being in fights and you speak of banging the sticks and the boys getting into it which is kind of the best thing to have you get that pumped up feeling you know there's some people that do celebrations after fights and you know i'm a fan of that the right circumstance obviously but speaking of loudness you've played in a lot of different arenas there must have been one arena that was louder than some that you have fought in do you remember what arena that would be um nashville got pretty fucking loud man um i think i fought mcgratton in nashville and you don't you don't hear the crowd really when you're fighting but you kind of hear it you hear it other times like i guess after when you sit down after the fight but um i remember nashville just being loud for whatever reason chicago was always loud that rink just it just depends how that rink's built like if it's an all-purpose venue meant for like concerts and shit it's not going to sound as good as like an old school barn like a joe lewis arena or a barn that just doesn't have the best acoustics maybe and the sound just rattles off the the rafters Uh, but um, as long as they got a full barn with a passionate crowd that um, is into it it's just there's nothing really better than it you know there's you're not in an outdoor ballpark or anything like that it's closed in and if they're if there's 20 plus thousand yelling it's you're gonna notice it so um yeah i think i just think nashville stands out and uh and chicago and then like i think i think they can fit 24,000 in the bell center and they're pretty intelligent hockey crowd and they they get loud too you can tell you're in a a pretty pretty full barn when you're playing in montreal too See, that's that's the big thing is like you think of those original six arenas and you know you played in toronto and we're gonna get to toronto a little bit later in the show you know sometimes the business people sit at the front of that and maybe it isn't as loud you can hear pin drops sometimes in the scotia bank arena but it depends on the game but you have some guys that you played with obviously that you fought against right cold nor uh, your time in toronto you know and i think it was afters when you fought cold when you were in philadelphia from what i recall but have you ever like fought a guy that got traded to a team and you're playing with that guy and you're like, huh, I fucking kicked your ass. <laughs> you know? <laughs> taking the, you're taking the crown as the, the tougher guy on the team or like in Toronto at the time that you were there with Colton yourself, it was a, it was a tough team. Okay. Which is something that isn't as obvious anymore, but you have 
you, they were like, as I mentioned, a very tough team and that with yourself and Colton, as I mentioned. So you, when you are in the room and you fought a guy, have you had that happen or have you not had that happen? Um, I've had it happen where you, you, like you see a guy in the summer, you're at a golf tournament or doing some charity thing or, or whatever the case is. And you, there's other players there and, and you run into a guy that you've scrapped. It's usually just, Hey buddy, what's going on? And you kind of, you kind of rub shoulders first because it doesn't really matter what happened in that scrap. You could fight a guy 10 times and there'd be a different outcome each time, you know? So it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter if a guy want to fight here or there or which, what happened when you guys scrap, obviously, you know, it can go either way. I think everyone knows that, but it always ends up being like, if you're at the bar or you're at a golf tournament or something, you'll kind of, almost buddy buddy with a guy that's the same role as you first because you have more in common you understand each other there's there's not much um to worry about in that way and i mean fuck every guy that you play with that's a tough guy is usually a pretty solid easygoing guy you know and that's probably why the role kind of is attractive to them because they just want to go out there and do their best and help the team out and do whatever they have to do because it's just their mentality i guess but seems like the scrappers are always good guys. I remember Joe Thornton was like, or uh, not Joe Thornton, uh, Sean Thornton was, um, he was getting in trouble with the media and getting suspended because he like, he gave a guy a punch in the face with his fucking glove on. And they were like talking about being assault and he was getting all this, um, all this bad press in the, in the media. And they were talking about him getting even more games. And it was just ridiculous. Like this guy was being an idiot and he was down on the ground because Thornton threw him down and gave him a shot with his glove, like whoopty shit. And so I said that to the media basically. And then I didn't even know have his number, but Thornton texted me and was like, Hey, I appreciate that man. Next time you're in Boston, let me know if you want to come to Fenway or we'll go out or some shit like that. And it's just kind of guys have each other's back that do that role and they understand it. And if you end up on the other guy's team, it's like, Oh good. Maybe this guy can take some of the workload. And <laughs> you know, it's, it goes that way. Most of the time Colton was good like that with me. Like I was uh, younger and coming to the league for the first time and we could have kind of almost been adversaries and battled for the job or whatever, but we ended up just uh, like leaning on each other and he supported me pretty good and helped me get into the league. And we talked about what was, what was happening in the game and he, he was pretty solid that way. So I, I remember that Orzy was good with me um, breaking into the league. Now, Jay with fighting. Okay. Obviously they've had talks and we've, this actually transitions nicely into what we have touched base on the first topic and get into this is hitting started later we've talked about that keep your head up that point they had which was fantastic fighting in general okay obviously you having the role of an enforcer enforcers aren't as much now as we've already alluded to as well do you ever see fighting getting taken out of the game and if so when yeah i don't i don't think they'll have to i think it'll just kind of happen naturally like i mean the people that are i mean bitching about hockey and the people that are whining and like to have everyone do what they want to do they seem to be focused on other things these days so it doesn't seem like the heat's been on fighting too much in hockey lately but i just think that these kids coming out of junior i mean the the rules in junior around fighting are really strict like there's nobody fighting 30 times in junior anymore they're going to be coming up to the nhl and it's just not going to be in their culture to fight like a whole ton but, um, you know, there's going to be guys in, you know, within the next few years that have like almost never seen a fight live and have nothing to do with fighting. And they're going to be in the NHL and it's just not even going to be on their mind. But that being said, I mean, the game is still the game and there's fighting in it. 
I mean, why did anyone start fighting in hockey? It's just what the game breeds. It's fast paced. It's in your face. It's emotions run high. So I just feel like it'll kind of take care of itself where the numbers will go down so low where no one's really talking about it. And once in a blue moon, if, if something happens where two guys say, yeah, fuck you and, and shed their gloves and fight, the, you know, that's two grown men making a decision and they won't really have to to touch on it too much after that. I just think that it'll take care of itself and it'll just become something that happens so seldomly that they won't ever have to like actually ban it. At least that's what I see happening at this point. That's actually a common kind of point that, you know, it might transition out itself uh, from a, from a standpoint, but I miss seeing those fights and I miss seeing the, the Ty Domi days yourself, Jay, and those tilts. I, I just, it's a guess that's what we grew up with. Uh, so it won't be as grown up with, with the youth nowadays. So certainly interesting to see what happens as hockey proceeds forward. Now getting to our next topic, let's rewind of sorts and work our way back. You know, talking about your career in general, which we've obviously touched on a bit, obviously from the enforcer side, but there's lots we can get into. There's obviously you went the college route before going into junior. There's obviously the draft. There's playing in the National Hockey League. So there's a lot that we're going to get into. So the first thing that I'll get into, and I'll let Brooksy get to the draft, because that's usually his common question to ask. You went to play for in, in Minnesota Duluth. Uh, what was the choice for you to go play the college route? Was that the only option for yourself? Did you maybe have walk-on options uh, to play the WHL or was that an option for you to play in general there? What attracted you to uh, the college route more than potentially made it your junior? Yeah, I think it was just, uh, I was kind of a late bloomer. So uh, it wasn't until like my second year Bantam that I really kind of started to take strides and, and stand out and my skating got quite a bit better. I got my confidence up Um and just started to kind of stand out a little bit more than I ever had. So by that time, it was kind of too late for the Bantam draft. Um, I played midget trip when I was 16 and got listed by Seattle Thunderbirds. And it was like right away after that, they're like, come to camp. We want to get you in some games, blah, blah, blah. And I, it was just a whirlwind. And I was like, holy fuck. Like I just started to like take a stride with um, hockey and, and make an extra step and start to develop a little bit better. And, they want me to go down to Seattle, live in Seattle, play in the dub, leave my, you know, I grew up on a ranch in Olds with pretty tight community, my buddies here. Um, and I was just kind of a small town kid who did not want to go down and live in Seattle. I knew a bunch of kids from the area who went to the dub, glitz and glamour, looking like they were going to play in the show right away. And then all of a sudden, they're just working for the gas uh gas company or something within two years because they just had nothing to fall back on and the dub kind of fucked them over. So. I didn't want to be that player and the thought of taking a couple extra years in college to to develop and to try to make it to the show and to try to get good enough to be you know a pro player in a short amount of time I wanted to give myself a little bit of a safety net of time really it wasn't really the education as much as as it was just giving myself more time to develop and to, and to get better because I knew I was kind of a late bloomer but uh if if see if Red Deer had my rights or Calgary, it might have been a different story. I might have tried to go the dub route, but um, ultimately it was just wanting to stay at home and not leave not leave home at 16 and uh, and go to the the U.S. and play there and start doing the whole dub grind. So uh, at the end of the day, I didn't stay at college for four years, but uh, I've got I've got no regrets about it. 
Nice. They, uh, you know, for me, you know, the reason why Dave always says the, the draft story and stuff like that, because I love it. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was never drafted. So I, I was a free agent signing is when I had my thing. So I didn't have that excitement of the draft. And I'm just curious, you know, uh, about your story. You know, did you always know, you know, where you were going to go? Uh, were you just, you know, waiting for this to happen? Did you think you were going to go earlier or not at all? Like, how how did this all transpire for yourself? Yeah, like, I had no idea. Like, we weren't, um, like, I loved hockey, played hockey and stuff, but my parents were just completely clueless to anything where um, what's going on, what the opportunities were in hockey. They were just like, okay, you got a game here, we'll drive to the rink. Like, that's all they really knew and cared about, really. And um, it was like other families. I remember being in school and, my buddy brought me the hockey news and it had like central scouting's list or whatever and my name was in it and I was playing junior a and I was in like grade 11 and just didn't really realize there was too much um you know eyes on me or anything like that and I saw my name in the hockey news and I was like holy shit I remember standing in the hallway the first day looking at that going that's like the NHL symbol is at the top my name's in it it's the hockey news I just my my heart just dropped I couldn't believe it so then kept playing that season and then my coach would tell me oh there's a scout here looking and there's this and that so then it started to um start getting on my radar a little bit like wow this could happen and um I think central scouting had another like final list that came out or something that I was on it and um it was like North American ranked skaters so I think they had me in like the fourth or fifth round out of North American skaters I think so um come draft day I mean I I didn't even think about going down to the draft I did not think I was going to be a high pick like I'm I'm playing junior a and in Alberta and knew the draft was on it was in Nashville 2003 and I uh it was the second day of it obviously the first day is just the first couple rounds or whatever and then I just got out of the shower and my mom said the phone is for you and it was a whirlwind. It ended up being an agent or something that I don't remember his name, but he just he called and he just said, hey, I want to be the first to let you know. And I guess he wanted to represent me or some shit. But he's like, they, Tampa just called your name. You remember the lightning? I picked up your care package and I'll drop it off with whatever. And I was like, who the fuck are you? Like, I, I thought he was with Tampa. <laughs> I, I didn't even understand it. And then uh, it turned out he was kind of a local guy that was trying to be an agent or something. And he he dropped off a bag at my dad's work and it was like this leather Tampa bag and it was full of like workout gear, my draft Jersey hats and, and shit like that. And it's, uh, and then I was just like, Holy smoke. So I'm, I guess I'm Tampa's got my rights now. And <laughs> yeah, I remember I just, I jumped on the quad and just cruised out to the field and just sat there and just thought about it. Like, Holy fuck. Like what a whirlwind it was. Like my dream was to play, in the show and to actually get drafted I just I, I couldn't believe it it happened pretty quick and I was I was pretty nervous but pretty excited and it was just yeah it's pretty cool you're you're pretty young and a lot of a lot of big time shit's kind of happening to you and it's it's hard to kind of uh let it all sink in but um I remember that summer I went to camp uh in Tampa their rookie camper and, and whatnot and in a way you went started to do the pro hockey thing but um yeah that's my story with the draft it's not uh it's not big news like guys getting called up on the stage and hugging their parents and shit like that it kind of was a little bit of a seventh rounder story but uh it's it's my story so I'm I'm happy with it it's good memories man so that's the better stories no offense to anyone who gets their name called up and they gotta hug their parents those are cliche the ones where you have to jump on the back i don't know if you said your four-wheeler or your or <laughs> had to go down into the farm you know and you know probably cracked open a pint which you know, <laughs> yeah. 
know, you're excited about it, right? And yeah, big time. That's the big thing is you got the you got drafted and you worked your ass off, as I said, to get to that point. It's not like you know, oh, uh, I got lucky and got picked seventh round, or and there's a lot of people who went who went in the later rounds that had pretty good careers, okay? Uh, and despite you know, you had a long career playing the professional hockey and you played a, a large amount of games in both the AHL and the NHL and over in Europe. So you had that experience. And the draft story is something that we've came across to be known a lot as because we've had a lot of funny stories. But to be able to say you jumped on your essentially your four wheeler to go into the farm and just basically look up and say, holy fuck. Yeah, this <laughs> yeah. just happened. Yeah, that, that just happened. It's you against the world at that view, right? You're looking out to the world and saying, I did this. Now it's now it's time for me to put in the work and to try to grind to live out this dream. And you did. You you obviously played in, like, in the Tampa Bay farm system, and then you moved on to Toronto. And I'll say flat out right now, we're going to get to that. That's our next topic where you, where you played in Toronto and Philadelphia. Uh, but when you did start off in Tampa – Okay, did they when they did touch base with you, did they say like, hey, Jay, you know, we want you to go out there and literally break people's noses or, you know, we want you to work on this and become that two way power forward that can kill penalties and score in front of that and get in the dirty areas or they must have had some plans for you. Right. In terms of what to work on, et cetera. Yeah. So I um I was drafted as a defenseman. So I was a D man my whole life through college and my first two years in the American league, I was a defenseman. So the whole start of the whole Tampa saga was all being a defenseman. And, uh, I, I never had the best hands and couldn't handle the puck of the, the best by any means, but I could skate well. And that's kind of why they drafted me. They were drafting big D men that could skate well. And I played with an edge and everything. Don't get me wrong, but, um, they drafted all those players cause they won the cup and, uh, 04 and in 05 they changed all the rules with that lockout and it was obstruction was the new thing so my first year in the American League as a defenseman if you put your stick between a guy's legs it doesn't even matter if you trip him up or if he loses the puck if your stick went between his legs they just called it obstruction and you go to the box and I mean my my strength was like riding a guy wide into the boards and burying him and just manhandling them in front of the net and all of a sudden that was all gone and somehow I managed to still kind of play a little bit. My first year in the American League, I I had got called up on paper, was told to pack my shit to go to Montreal. And then Habby Boulin had passport issues or something, visa issues, so he couldn't cross the line. So they called up our goalie instead, and they only had so many contracts they could have or whatever. So he came back after going up and playing a couple games and he said, yeah, all my room service bill and all my shit said, said your name on it, said Jay Rosehill on it. And I was like, well, I was told I was getting called up. So that was my first year. Then I got hurt a little bit and then was a black ace in the playoffs for them. And I was with, with them for, uh, what would that have been like? Oh, six, I think Oh six. And they were playing Ottawa in, in the first round. And they got shithauled the first couple of games and my coach came up and he goes, Hey, they I've been told if they make a D change, you're the one going in and they didn't end up making a D change. So I didn't play my first year, but that summer I was like, Holy fuck. I'm like that close to playing in the show. I mean, this is happening quicker than I think, but I'm in a good spot. Tampa likes me and this is great. Second year pro in the American league, they fire, um, Dirk Graham and they hire this other dickhead to be the head coach and he just hated me man Steve Sterling his name was he just 
he just wrote me off. He's just, he, he told me, he's like, you can't play. You cannot play in this league. Just, just don't talk to me. Basically. He told me if you, if the puck hits your stick, put it in the stands or ice it. Either one. I don't, I don't <laughs> put care. It in the stands. I love yeah. it. He goes, I don't want the puck on your stick. And I'm 21 years old. And that's what he's telling me. And fuck, did that guy destroy my confidence? I mean, I should have been mentally stronger and whatnot. But I mean, I would get like in practice, I just like pivot as a D-man and have to make like a 10-foot pass. And I would grip it so hard. I, I just, I couldn't fucking even give a good pass to 10 feet. And I just had this constant beam of thought right to this coach's eyes. And he would just stare at me and hate me. And the more he fucking was around the harder I'd grip my stick and I just it started to go downhill and I was like this guy's never gonna give a good report to Tampa and then I didn't even have a sniff after that for like for two full years and then after the so one year of having that shit show he was gonna send me down to the coast the beginning of my third year and then he did send me down he and then they got their asses kicked he called me back up and said I'm gonna play you at forward I just want you to forecheck and and run guys so then I, that's when I started playing forward. I never played another D-man until another game D until I went over to Europe. But uh, that's when I started fighting is I just started playing forward. I'd run defensemen. I'd get in the goalie's face. I'd just forecheck like hell and run guys. And then their fighter would always just come and fight me. And all of a sudden I fight 25 times and then 35 times the next year. And it just everything completely changed from a defenseman that like was legitly getting looks to play up top to buried and sent to the coast for a couple of games to getting back up to the American league as a forward. And then I did that for two years. And I just, the reason I started fighting so much is I was like, these guys are never going to call me up. They won't trade me. My agent already kind of sniffed around to see if they'd trade me. They said, no, we like them, but I would, I had no sniff. So I just said, I'm going to fight so fucking much that I'm just going to get a reputation as, as this guy and people will know me. And I did that. And then they, uh, they, Brian Burke traded for me and the next starting the next opening night roster for the Leafs I was playing for him so it worked I guess I got his attention and that's kind of how I got over to the Leafs and away from Tampa's system but yeah I didn't start off as a forward didn't start off as a fighter it just kind of was a necessity I guess now once you moved did you feel like this weight came off you and you know what I mean you didn't have to deal with that guy anymore as a coach you know because I couldn't imagine like you know as a coach uh, you, you would just could imagine what he would do if he actually worked with you and actually gave you the confidence instead of fucking do the opposite. Like, you know what I mean? That could have changed a lot of things, you know, to happen for a young kid like yourself at that time. There's nothing that drives me more nuts than that. You know, it's uh, it's it's pretty wild because myself, I was a goal scorer and I had I had a coach at one time he wanted and I because I could fight. I was pretty good at it for a middleweight. But yeah. You know, I mean, I was there to score and play tough, but not to fight all the time. And I got this coach who wanted me to be on the fourth line when I was went the year before being on the first, second line guy. And he just wanted me to fight everyone. And I'm just <laughs> like, it, it, it wasn't in me, you know, like I'm a very situational fighter, you know, max 10 times a year, maximum, you know, yeah. it, but it was just, you know, you have that coach that kind of just, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait to get out. Well, it's crazy. I mean, people, they don't really understand, like, especially in the minors there in the American League, like the grind it is. And, um, you know, coaches jobs aren't very um, solid. The, the teams change the organization all the time, like Norfolk will be Anaheim's team and then it'll be fucking Dallas's team and then it'll be Tampa's team and then Chicago's team through the years. 
and those coaches are just cycling all over the place. So their job's not secure. No one in the American League's job. Everyone's trying to fight the other one to get up to the NHL. So you're almost competing against your own teammates. And it's just that kind of a, a culture. And like that coach, we had so many good players in that Tampa system who went nowhere. And I'm telling you, it was because of that coach. Like Andy Rogers is a guy that comes to mind. He's a first round pick. He could skate and like he was a defenseman that could go like from forward to backwards and transition so quickly it was gross and he just had the confidence torn out of him where he just played his entry-level contract and quit the game and like for like with me my first year I had success in the second year I would I would just dread practice like just dread practice and he he put me in the place where like that's where I like first ever even felt what anxiety was um didn't look forward to hockey didn't look forward to games and it was all because of him and it's like Looking back, I'm like, your sole fucking job was to develop these young players to try to get them to the NHL. That's what you're hired for. That's your fucking job. And that's what you did. Like that, that's how you went about it. Like you're fucking pathetic. If I saw that guy in an airport today, I would walk right up to him and I would just let him have it on how fucking terrible of a job he he did. Because like, how do you tell a 21 year old kid who's, who's trying, who needs to learn, who needs to get better and who is in that league to get better and you're the coach to facilitate that and you tell the kid to put the fucking puck in the stands or to ice it because you don't want to see it on your stick like that's how much time you put in that's the most time you put in with me is just to say that if we were at the coffee fucking machine at the same time pouring a cup he wouldn't even say good morning to me like it was just and and like like you say imagine i had a coach like a john cooper or something who's a player's coach who gets the most out of everybody who sucks every ounce he can out of their player because they would just go through a wall for him and and want to play for him like maybe i could have been in the nhl as as a defenseman and whatever i mean i i have no regrets and things worked out great anyways and it was i'm very lucky to get what i got but it's kind of like wow if you if some guys had the stories of these American League coaches back in the day on, on how they fucking held their players it's just it's fucking inexcusable and yeah I get a little fired up even thinking about it because it's just being an adult now and a coach for young kids right now I just look at how he handled it and it's just pathetic it makes you not be like that but it sucks that that happened for because you already know how to do that because you're a mature person where this guy steve surly just so anyone wants to know who he is he back out of him doesn't fucking <laughs> that's gonna be my response it doesn't fucking matter uh he, yeah. he has a long history of coaching but nothing uh where he has any kind of accolades that are worth even mentioning on the show and it'd almost be funny to bring him on the show jay and get you to come on as a surprise <laughs> guest and start <laughs> just doing we'll just a make sure it's a live episode too. Oh. just a commie a commie babcock episode but minor league edition Oh, man. <laughs> if Steve Sterling ends up listening to the show, please message below. We'll make that arrangements if you have the guts. That'll be my call. It's funny because I was back. He ended up coaching somewhere else, and I, I was playing against their team. I couldn't even look at the bench. I was just seething, and I'd talk to other guys on their team going, what's Sterles like, that fucking piece of shit and stuff? And and he'd be like, oh, he told me to say hi. He said he, said he liked you, Rosie, and you're a good guy and shit like that. I'm like, are you kidding me like he's just completely oblivious to what he did to me so that's when you get the puck and you throw it in the bench <laughs> I, I thought about it man <laughs> if you did now a couple more topics we're going to get into before we get into our boys question obviously a quick shout out here to little caesar's pizza definitely if you want some quick delicious pizza give little caesar a check out they're on social media and 
Also, if you're in Sault Ste. Marie, if you're tuning in from where we actually are from our home base, there's multiple locations you can check out for that. But if you're outside of Sault Ste. Marie, there's obviously Little Caesars around you. Just make a quick call if you want quick and easy dinner. And shout out to North Superior Brewing Company. I'm sitting here enjoying a nice pint while we talk and shoot the ship between myself, Brooksy, and Jay Rosedale. Now, getting to the next topic here. All right. This is going to be about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, I'll say flat out here. You got traded to my favorite team, Jay. Okay, everyone that knows uh, the fans coming out. Here, comes here we go. Here, here we is. go. You've been wait- I've been waiting for this, and here <laughs> it is. It finally got here. Oh, uh, finally got here. I was had this highlighted the whole entire time. But no, we <laughs> that knows that follows the show in terms of our new shows know that multiple of us are Leaf fans. We have Wink fans and Oilers fans on the show. Brooksy obviously being the Wink fan. Probably the smarter of everybody here, seen a lot of success in his time. Uh, but in Toronto, okay, I'm still jealous that you had the opportunity to wear that jersey and play in Toronto. Okay, the hockey mecca of the world. And unfortunately, if you're a Toronto fan, times aren't great right now. Uh, I think the word that was used in 2021 right now is disgust. It's not sadness. It's not disbelief. It's absolute disgust. That's the word that's most common trending right now, and that fits it perfectly uh, from the way that everything happened this year. But we're not talking about this year. We've already done that on a previous news show. If anyone wants to listen to that, especially by the time this is uploaded, you can go ahead and do so if you want to go through some pain because everyone in Toronto that is a Leaf fan are suckers for pain, obviously. Uh, when you played there, okay, obviously you spent a, a good amount of time in Toronto, and you played there from 09. 2010, 2011, to 2012, uh, and you played with obviously having there. There was Ron Wilson there, which I've heard a lot of beautician stories about Ron Wilson. I don't even want to get into that. Uh, Andy Carlisle, obviously Rob Zettler was there. My family actually knows Rob Zettler. He actually got me in when I was young to the old Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, one of their last seasons to uh, watch the Leafs play there. But you know, they, there was coaches there. There's players there, Kessel. Bozak, Phaneuf, MacArthur, Joffrey Lupul, who's been known as probably one of the most, uh, the quote-unquote, this is not a joke, I can try to find this link, they call him one of the more beautiful guys to skate, which is hilarious, uh, I don't know if that even came from anyone from the uh, Missing Curfew podcast, uh, but they, they have a team here that, if you look at the time in 2013, obviously that choking time against Boston, it's a tough time to be a Toronto fan, as I mentioned, it's overall, but you spent a great deal of time there with the Marlies, with the Leafs before you went over to Philadelphia. So when you got dealt to Toronto, what was going through your head? Okay, where you're like, shit, yeah, I'm going to a team, right? You said you started there. You're able to Berkey trade it for you. Truculence was his word that he used, and I think you define that uh, purely. But you have a system that fits your playing style, right? The management that likes that type of playing uh, game, etc. Were you excited to have that opportunity in Toronto and any stories about Toronto that you want to share besides laughing at me maybe about how envious I am that you did wear that jersey? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a, I mean, the Toronto fans, the people in Toronto do think it's the center of the hockey world, which I think pisses off everybody else in the hockey world. But, I mean, that city and that team, like, when it's game day, and, I mean, you got the CN Tower there, the Sky Dome, Air Canada Centre is what it was when I played there. That whole downtown core, it's a very cool city, very passionate fans, and then just a historic hockey team. And, yeah, they haven't done a lot of great things, and I think that's the reason they haven't done great is there's so much want and so many people just dying to see them do well that there's just that constant pressure on the players, and you feel it every day. And 
I mean, I'm, I was uh, like the last guy on the team to feel any pressure compared to like the, like you said, the castles and the Fanups and whatnot, but like the media is there and they're just scrutinizing everything you do. And if you go on a little winning streak, it's like, Oh, this can't last or how long can this last? And it's just this big balancing act. And then if you do bad, it's, Oh my God, let's tear it down and shit. And it's just, you can't do any, anything right. And if you look at the rosters that have, they've had over the years, I mean, this year is no, no different, obviously, but the the team should be doing better. The team should win. You, you see some fucking Florida Panther team go on to the second, third round. And it's like, if you think if that team's roster was in Toronto, they'd be in the playoffs. There's not a chance. Right. And um, it's hard to win over there. But I mean, for me personally, to go there and play every time you put on that jersey, you go into those buildings and the way you fly and the way you travel and the way you, um, you know, are wine and dined on the road and all the, the resources that are at your disposal and the chefs that are in the fucking room and making your breakfast and lunch. It's just it's just insane. It's as showtime as it gets. And. Like, I remember one, I think we were flying back from the East Coast one time. We just won. Um, we did a kind of a big swing of a road trip and we we're flying back to Toronto and we just won our last two games in like Tampa and Florida or some shit. And we're flying back home and we're like, let's get home. Let's get home. Like, we want to go out and party. And then our team service guy who like hands out all the cash for like per diem and all that shit, he goes up into the cockpit and he's in there for like a minute and then he comes back up and sits down. And then all of a sudden you just hear the turbines just and the fucking plane just winds up and the captain just goes full throttle and our team service guy just gave him a wad of cash and said get us home as fast as you can and they got us home like 45 minutes early in time to get downtown and hit the bars and shit like that and (laughs) i i went up to the team service guy after i'm like you just hand him a wad of cash and he just burns like 40 grand in fucking fuel or what and he and he looks at me and he goes buddy we're the yankees of hockey we can do whatever the fuck we want (laughs) (laughs) i'm not fucking surprised that comes from uh what a good story i honestly you know you brought up the media and you know what i feel they're a part of the problem with you know they're like your old coach you had you know i mean it is a lot of pressure for some of these guys and and it's hard not to read you know articles and stuff that because you know people bring them up to you you know you know as a player you know did you see this article did you see this one you know it's hard to stay away from it and not uh you know, to keep, put a, turn a blind eye or, you know, to it. So, you know, I feel like, you know, if that media ever became positive, <laughs> you know, there might be some difference. Yeah, it's hard. And I mean, I know guys that like won't sign in Toronto because of that, like guys that will text other players that are on the team saying, Hey, my agent's talking to Toronto. What do you think? And, and that guy would have been like a big signing and he's like, don't do it, man. It's like, it's killing my career right now. And like, they'll, they seem to sign guys that have like a career year in like Dallas or Florida. And then they sign him and bring him into Toronto. And then they expect him to have an even better than career year. And if he doesn't, they're going, what the fuck do we bring you here for? And it's like, it's almost impossible to perform for some of those guys. So it's it's really difficult and you can't hide from it because you're sitting you you go for a practice and I mean I, I literally could not get to my stall nobody could after practice and stuff because the, there's there's 65 media people in there when normally there's like eight 
and you you have to push your way to your stall just to sit down and they're interviewing everyone and like Kadri or whoever they're like you changed your stick and you went from Bauer to Reebok and do you think that's a bad thing and you haven't scored in two games since doing that are you having second thoughts about this and blah and it's like are you fucking kidding me do you think the guys in Florida have to deal with that they don't they just show up to the rink in their flip-flops and they talk to their coach and they have a game plan and they play and it's just easier to win there where in Toronto it's so fucking hard man but um yeah they're kind of their own worst enemy with the media there but if you ever did win there and if you ever had a won a cup there i mean you'd you'd never have to fucking work again yeah, key to the city everywhere <laughs> totally it'd be absolutely insane but uh like, no i just like this guy is such a fucking idiot here like when he said that in the media i, I love this one of the most iconic phil kessel media moments ever well i forget who it was but he looked at a media guy after he asked a question that he used to have frequent run-ins with and he would say this guy's such a fucking idiot here yeah seriously <laughs> Listen, and I'm even saying this as a someone who cheered for Toronto my whole life, and I tell my dad if there's one thing I blame him for, it's me him putting that Leaf jersey on when I was a kid to influence me to be bleeding the blue the rest of my life. And it, it comes down to, yeah, it, it's exciting, you know, it, to have it all the optimisms there, but that pressure is so big, and it's unfortunate because these the media in Toronto and I. This is a media, obviously the game entertainment media, I operate a media company, but I like to say how I'm different than every other media, but everyone says that. Okay, but the big thing is that some media are just, it's so much bullshit. Okay, and I'll flat out say all the stories that they want to do for clickbait, all the stories that they just want to do just to rise out of a player. And it does happen a lot in Toronto. And I think Montreal is also the same thing. A lot of big market cities. And it makes players not want to play there. Players want to go play in Tampa. Players want to go in Florida. Players want to go to the, the Western Californias where tax is a little bit less. And, you know, when they're in the heat, they get to go to the rink in their flip flops, you know, and not be a part of that. It's really unfortunate that the media has a big factor on that it's different when fans have the factor on a team it's good to have a passionate fan base but when you have business people leading the bottom of the dome uh, i say the dome but the bottom bowl of the rank all the time and the media is too much it makes players not want to play there that is an absolute fucking problem but you know you have toronto it's a big city and <laughs> the way you brought the story up where you said the, the leafs are like the yankees of hockey that makes me laugh and roll my eyes because I could see everyone in Toronto saying that, not really giving a giving a damn. It's just because they're just happy to be there, or they just just because they know the Toronto and they can have some of these situations happen and get away with it because the fans are just going to go back next year and not give a crap what happened or what was told the year before. That's the biggest thing. Uh, but the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't know if you want if you want to add anything else, Jay, with Toronto. Definitely floor is yours. But the Philadelphia Flyers, different. Obviously, I uh, Reggie Leach was someone who I uh, was in the NOJHL. He was the coach of the Manitoulin Islanders. And don't ever Google the Manitoulin Islanders, one of the worst junior hockey teams that ever played. I think Brooksy might know that. Uh, but they were a team that got defeated 13-1 all the time. Uh, but Reggie Leach, you know, they're the stories that he had. And the Broad Street Bullies, you know, growing up in Philly, that's one passionate fan base in Philadelphia. Okay, they're aggressive there. And they are also, uh, I don't think they're as media-driven as Toronto, but I know they're popular within Philadelphia. But the, how was your experience in comparison to Toronto and Philadelphia? Because obviously you had a longer time in Toronto. You might have more stories you want to get to, but I want to give you the floor with philadelphia as well before we go to our last topic yeah like philly was awesome i, I was a little bit older and i wasn't as like uh you know wide-eyed and you know it wasn't my first experience in the nhl so i was a little bit more relaxed and we had a younger team there so 
Um, there's just kind of a tighter group and it seems like it's kind of the old boys club upstairs there, which is maybe to their detriment sometimes, but it's also pretty cool that they, they keep all the old boys around in different roles around there. And it just seems kind of more of a family type atmosphere. And even though it's Philadelphia, it kind of like seems like a smaller city or a smaller town. Almost you kind of, when you're going out downtown or whatever, you run into the same people and shit and um, just going to that, that market with the broad street bullies background. And they always like playing that way. And, um you know when I got brought there I knew that um you know what they liked and what they liked in that city and I was happy to be there and like I said the guys were younger and we had we had a lot of fun while we were there like the first day I got there I didn't know anybody really well I knew uh I knew um like Braden Shen was there already so knew him a little bit and uh went out and met some of the guys the first night I got there off the plane or whatever and um and we went to Hartnell's house and we we're um, having some drinks, whatever, and just getting to know everybody and kind of getting comfortable and whatnot. And Hartnell had this scooter out front that he like would ride to the rink because he's an idiot, basically. And he had this little Vespa that he'd cruise around. So, of course, I fired up and I just start bucking it up and down the street a little bit. And I'm doing catwalks or some shit. And then I don't even know, a cop kind of cruised up or whatever. And I was like, Oh no, I got no helmet on and nothing's, nothing's, nothing's really legal about it. So I just pin it and I just go flying across like this church grass and through the back of the church and into this alley and just take off. And the cop just kind of looked at Hartnell and G and the boys and we're like, the fuck was that? And just kept going. And it was probably 20 minutes later, I come creeping back the back door and I'm like, are we good boys? And everyone's just dying laughing. Like you're an idiot, man. And uh, so I kind of introduced myself to the boys that way. And um, we ended up having a lot of fun there and, you know, got into a playoff series against the Rangers and, um, just that was just good memories there man like I said I was a little bit more comfortable and um you know I had a son that was born that summer before uh I played there and it was just good memories man living downtown Toronto or uh, Philly was was awesome Toronto was like the big show and the you know your first your first taste of it all and super intense in every way and like unbelievable memories and the prestige of that organization and stuff and then Philly was kind of being a little bit more comfortable and um yeah getting to play a little bit more it was kind of unfortunate that Laviolette got fired he really liked me wanted to play me every night and uh assigned me to like a two-year ticket that uh would keep me there for a couple of years that I never had before and he got fired three games into my contract (laughs) so that kind of fucked me a little bit but I thought it would be good when Craig Grube came in but he ended up only playing me um maybe 34 games that year or something like that but uh it was what it was. I wish I could have stayed there a little bit longer, but it seemed like I was there a long time because I got a lot of good memories and, and some good friendships. You actually played with, this is people know this, my favorite hockey player actually going up was Vincent LeCavalier. Yeah. Um, you played with Vinny LeCavalier, which, you know, after, you know, after the Tampa time where he was still one of the Tampa greats, of course, you know, he went to Philly and then he retired off in LA in the 2015-2016 season. And he, you know, he, when he retired, he was 35 years old. People may think that he was actually a bit younger. He was 35 years old. Uh, but playing with Vincent LeCavier, I got to know from just my own personal standpoint, you know, is he, you know, was he that, that leadership type guy all the time? Is there any stories that you could share uh, with Vincent LeCavier? That's just one player that I'd highlight. And you actually played with guys who may have been more intrigued with stories like Claude Giroux, Wayne Simmons, of course, Scott Hardnell, Sean Couturier, you know, the list goes on. And also you did have Ray Emery on the team there as well, which 
obviously it was a tragedy there uh, with Ray Emery, but you know, you had some players that actually have a great background and uh, like Steve Downey, there was a guy that, you know, was a tenacious player, uh, just a overall seems like a great group of guys. In there. They always had the right chemistry in Philly, but any stories about Vinny LeCavier that you would uh, be able to share? Yeah, Vinny, he was awesome, man. Like he's, he's the nicest guy, the classiest guy, like he's just class, right? And always likes to have a good laugh and I mean you look at him and you know his history and what he'd done and he'd made like a hundred million dollars and it's just like you look at him and he's always just he's always just class class and he's he's pretty awesome and he changed beside me at the game rink at the Wells Fargo like our uh our our street clothes we'd locker we'd change and he was beside me I remember one time he had it was like payday or whatever so our our envelopes with our check in it or whatever was in the locker and Vinny had got bought out by Tampa right so he's got two he's got two envelopes in his in his stall and we're kind of open them up or whatever and you check it out and I'm looking over his shoulder at him just to compare right and then he kind of looks and then he looks out the side of him and he's got two envelopes and they're both open he looks over me he goes double dipping baby <laughs> because <laughs> who the fuck knows what he's making beside but uh between his buyout and his contract with philly but um you know he he earned every dollar he was awesome and he was a wicked guy to have in the locker room um i remember one time we were gonna play pine valley which is like top three courses in the whole planet for golf courses and it's like 10 minutes away from the practice rink in uh in jersey and um we were supposed to play it and he threw his back out that morning and he i was like my my fucking clubs are all shined up and like i can't believe i'm gonna play this course and he threw his back out and ended up having to get worked on all uh all morning long and he skipped the skate and he's like if i can just swing a wedge rosie will go out and we'll play and he was completely laid out and his back ended up being fucked all year so he wasn't milking it, but he's like, uh, he's like, don't worry, we'll get out there in the spring, and and we never did. So if he's listening, he owes me around at Pine Valley. But uh, <laughs> no, solid guy, that guy, and everyone that played with him really speaks highly of him. I want him to come on the show too if he's listening too. So don't hesitate to reach out. You know, favorite hockey player. I have his old Emma Leaf fan at his Tampa Bay jersey when I was younger. Come on, now, now you don't do that when you cheer for a team and you put on another jersey, it burns. <laughs> you know, you're a fan that way, I guess, eh? hundred percent you know i could say that i was a jay rosehill fan and had number 38 leaf jersey too i was gonna do that today i was gonna go get a jay rosehill jersey as a little joke put on the background here and have the video going but we all know uh uh that's that's with with brooksy not wanting to do video today and no, i won't throw you oh yeah blame <laughs> me eh? Jesus. you'd have to you'd have to go to the bottom of the barrel of ebay to find one of those jerseys buddy uh, <laughs> brooksy i'll uh, i'll transition you now to our final topic before we get to our bonus questions we call it in our conclusion something that you both will have a lot more in common to talk about than me of course uh, as with familiarity playing the eihl so i'll uh, let you take it away for our next topic yeah, I just want to, you know, bring up, uh, you know, how you ended up, you know, heading over to Brayhead. Uh, you know, obviously, Ryan Finnerty was the coach, I'm pretty sure then for you, from what I remember. Uh, he was a good buddy. I also played there uh, the year before yeah. you got there. So, you know, I'm just curious, you know, how did you, you know, decide to make this decision to come overseas and to go to the EIHL? You know, besides probably Ryan calling you a thousand times. <laughs> No, well, yeah, like, so I was getting a little bit older, and I mean, some of the same bullshit that I dealt with when I was really young, um, I was dealing with again, like, um, you know, not playing in the show anymore, fighting got pretty much pulled right out of there. I, th- I think the year I 
played in the minors again after Philly. There was 13 guys I counted, including myself, that were full-time guys in the NHL the year before that either didn't re-sign or got sent down the next year. And so it just kind of wiped out pretty much the whole league, especially that Eastern Conference. And um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that I wasn't going to be up in that league anymore. And then I was kind of like getting treated kind of half shitty by some coaches or there was some misunderstanding, not a misunderstanding, but like I thought maybe I was going to play a little bit and I was just basically there to be a locker room guy and just thought the coach was kind of like, just gave me zero fucking respect. And if I said anything, he'd turn it around on me or just kind of, I was like, I'm done with this shit, you know? So I was looking for something different, but um, we were talking to Phoenix in the off season and they wanted to sign me and Chaka offered a contract and it was, more than likely to play on the Roadrunners in Tucson. Um, and then if things went well, who knows, you could get up with Phoenix a little bit. But um, they offered me a contract. They said, get back to us next week. So I thought about it. I researched a bunch of shit and called some people. And then we were going to take the deal. So my agent calls back to Cheka and says, yeah, you know, we're, we'll, we'll take that deal. He's, he wants to come and play. And then he's like, oh, yeah, shit, sorry. I gave that contract to someone else. He's a, he's a guy that's already in our system. We wanted to stay within the system or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, what? Jesus. Like, yeah. I've, my agent was like, I've never in my life seen a contract offered and said it's in your it's in your court now. Like, decide and let us know. And then you get back to them and they're like, oh, yeah, we already gave that away. So I was kind of stuck with my dick in my hand. They're going, where the fuck am I going to play this year? And um it was originally Cardiff that reached out to me and they wanted to come see if I wanted to play. And I was like, I don't know. And then Andrew Lord, who you might know, called mm-hmm. me and asked all about it. And he's like, you know, I want to, I'm huge on fitness. I'm huge on video. Oh, yeah. I want to coach in the NHL one day. And I'm like, Ooh, well, there's strike one and two right there. And yeah. Then he, yeah. And then he's much. like, cause you're at the opposite end. I'm like, dude, you want to go enjoy some hockey. You also want to play some good hockey. I want to see the world, play hockey, be, you know, a bit of a leader and have some, uh, you know, respect with the coach where we can have some rapport. And then he's asking me, like, how are your knuckles, man? How are your hands? Like, are you ready to go and shit? And I'm like, do you think I'm going to go over there and fight? So I was just like, this Lord guy's a fucking idiot. So I don't want to go play for him. And then I think Finner found out that I was talking to him. So he called me and he's like, here, this is what I'm thinking, man. Like, we'll pay you this. This is how you're going to get treated. This is what I what I need from you. I need you to, you know, come in and play a lot. And you don't have to. You can fight zero times if you want to care less. And then I started looking at Scotland, researching Glasgow, all the golf courses around there. I was like, holy fuck. So I started talking to my wife and saying, do you want to make that jump? Like, it just seems like a breath of fresh air going over there and new experience. I could see a different part of the world. Like, when else could we live over in the UK? So we went over there and did it. And uh, it was awesome. I mean, well, my second game, I took a slap shot in the face and like just destroyed my whole face. So that was kind of a a rough welcome to the the country. But after that, yeah, it went pretty good after that. And like Finner, everything he said was true and completely honest. And uh, we played there and then had a great year in Glasgow. The fans there are wicked. And uh, everything about it was awesome. But then the reason I was so happy with it is Finner. And, and he's just a trustworthy dude. And he moved to Manchester really the next year. Yeah. And I, I followed him to Manchester. He asked me to come there and be the captain. And I, I mean, the barn there wasn't great, but the city was awesome. And um, their fan base was loyal, the ones that they did have. And um, 
city was just wicked and you go live in England and Finner was there. So I said, yeah, we'll do that. And I mean, I had just as much fun in, in Manchester and the team did really well unexpectedly. And the, the boys were super tight. I played tons of golf and my boys were living there and it was just, it was awesome, man. So, it's a yeah, great it, experience that you guys were able to do that. You know what I mean? I, I always say to guys, like if you, you know I mean? If you feel that dream is done or you're, you can't play it anymore in the NHL, it's, you got to get over to Europe to somewhere, you know what I mean? It's just, you know what I mean? I spent 12 years there and it was, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And, and speaking totally. of Brayhead, it's amazing how actually much of a hockey town that, that is in Brayhead. Well, Glasgow now, as they call it, but, uh, yeah. but like you said, Finnerty, you know, he, he does a good job. He's a player's coach. He'll fight for the players. He'll do, uh, you know, he's got the players back. And I, and I think that's why he was really successful there in Brayhead. And, uh, you know, now being, uh, you know, involved with Manchester, you know, I, I hope the same thing happens there. You know, I know he'd like to have a better arena, but, uh, you know, hopefully that comes with uh, in some time for him. Yeah, it was. He, he does well, man. And he's got your back. And he's uh, yeah, he's a big reason I went there and stayed there. And I just I just feel fortunate to finish my career the way I wanted to. It was on my own terms. I didn't get injured. I didn't get cut. I didn't get sent down. I didn't just not get a contract and just have to like stay at home and call it a, a career. I, I knew it was my last game when it was my last game. And it was just a wicked way to go. out. I feel like I was kind of acting like a, a moron over there. Like, I think I was having trouble coming to terms with the fact that my career was coming to an end. I didn't know what I was playing for. I didn't have the goal of getting called up or staying in the show or whatever it was anymore. Like, so it was kind of like, I felt like I was in no man's land and, the reffing there is so outrageously bad that I kind of lost my temper a couple times. But oh yeah. yeah there's but, some definitely some bad reffing over there. Yeah. But um, all in all, looking back and I'm just, I'm just happy that I could end my career on, on my own terms and know that it was and just do it the right way. So I, I'm pretty happy that I made the decision to go over there and play in the UK. It was awesome. So fans are European fans more loud than North American fans. When they when they get rocking, they are like when they get their chants going and stuff. It's awesome. And that league you can play in, you can go to Dundee and not really play in front of too many people. And then you can go to Sheffield or Nottingham and play in front of like ten or eleven thousand people. And when they get their chants and their drums and shit going, it's 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 awesome. You know what you have to check out? Like I always bring up every time we talk about a Brooksy play in Europe. Give Brooksy a, a, a YouTube search. Uh, on a goal that he scored, they used to dance in the bottom corner. Uh, oh, fuck. Goes, give, give. Well, you know what? Jay probably knows about that because in Brayhead, they make you do these video things before if you score or anything. I don't know if you had to do that. Did oh, they have that when you were there? Oh, Jerry, I just paint. our good I friend think, Jerry McLaughlin. Jerry, I think I refused it. <laughs> yeah. okay. Priceless. Uh, Jerry McLaughlin, there was uh, another guest that we had, an absolute... Uh, we decided we had Jerry on the show. You know, he brings a lot of humor and he loves the game. And oh, uh, yeah. I wanted to just get a perspective of him because he's been doing a lot of stuff uh, behind the scenes and 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 growing the hockey over there in uh, Scotland. And uh, yeah. you know, That's, with his media, he's actually done a really good job with kind of changing the way they they do interviews. And, That's cool. Uh, uh, he's done a really good job and. Uh, it was uh, kind of funny to have it on, and uh, I just know that uh, you know the guys love him, and he's and you just don't want to get invited to his house because you're never leaving. You're gonna have oh, you, way too much whiskey, and you'd probably be so drunk. But uh, and yeah. plus, you can't understand. I'm surprised they. I'll go listen to that one because I bet it's hard to understand the fucker. He's got such a mean, mean <laughs> Scottish accent. 
Oh, it was hilarious. I uh, I thought I almost had to get the Google Translator going at the same time when he was talking. That's yeah, awesome. He's a good guy. Now, sadly, getting to the conclusion of the show, uh, Jay, each show, we like to ask our guests bonus questions, we call them. It's just one, a simple question where it's a one-word answer. Unless you want to get into a story, we welcome stories on the show, obviously. But uh, okay. Brooksy will ask you one more question each for a bonus question before we officially wrap up. And I always go first because – Believe it or not, people do like Brooksy's question more. He did uh, – there was a little poll taken. There's one question that he asked frequently that people liked more. But even though he doesn't go to that go-to as much anymore, trying to change it up, I think I'd take in the mantle of the better questions. <laughs> uh, right. What is your most memorable hockey experience overall? Could be NHL, before the pros. What is something that you most remember? Um – Probably like one of two first games, my first game in the NHL and then my first game for the Flyers. Um, first game in the NHL, my dad flew down last minute. Um, I got a picture of me coming down the tunnel, like touching kids' hands. And I just happened to look up and he got a spot right at the end of the tunnel and took this picture that I still have that it was just a candid shot. I didn't even know he was there. I looked up and he happened to grab this picture of my first game, I remember afterwards having a beer with him and just being like, I fucking did it. Like, I did it. I've been obsessed with playing the show since I was a kid. And I, now I've just, I have I can die saying that I've done it. So that was just a huge day for me. And then uh, and then first game for the Flyers, it was against the Maple Leafs. I fought Orzy and I scored the winning goal of that game. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously probably my best NHL game. So that was a a huge night for me too. So just a couple of firsts in the NHL is what I kind of remember the most. Those are good stories. Brooksy. Yeah. Well, my question is, you know, I'm just curious, you know, along the way or even before as a young kid, you know, was there someone that, you know, influenced you to become the, you know, the type of player you are? Uh, it could even be a captain you had or an older guy. I'm just curious if there was somebody that really like kind of molded you and, you know, to give him some credit right now of, you know, who is, uh, you know, your backbone of, you know, who guided you into the kind of player and man you are? Um, it would probably be three people. It would be my dad, my brother, and Don Cherry if I had to fucking uh, lay out names. But, like, my dad and brother, like, my brother's older than me. He let me do everything that he did. He let me hang out with his friends. He let me, um, you know do what he was doing basically and my dad would just we'd we'd get a Don Cherry tape I rock him sock him every single Christmas and we'd watch it and my dad I just he would just be like holy shit at all the big hits and holy fuck with the fights and my brother would say that and my brother started playing bantam hockey they started hitting everybody and and then I remember saying I want to fucking go hit everybody and then my dad and brother were like oh you, you might get put on your ass and I was like fuck that and then so just kind of following just seeing how they approach the game and the physical side of it and how much they liked it I was like yeah I can't wait to play hit hockey and you know those Don Cherry tapes I mean no one watched the fucking goals or the saves or anything everyone no. watched those big hits and the fights rock and all that baby all, all the rock em, sock em. so that's what I was just loving couldn't wait for another one to come out and uh we just started playing that way and I remember playing like Bantam like everyone would cheer and go nuts for the biggest hit like way more than 
for the best goal or whatever. You know, you're just a bunch of dumb 14-year-olds and you're just so jacked up with, you know, new testosterone and everything that's happening with kids of that age. And we just love that style of hockey and watching the Don Cherry tapes at sleepovers and stuff. And um, it's just kind of the culture in my town and with my family, I guess, to just get excited over that physical stuff. And I think that's kind of what started me on the path of getting jacked up by that shit. Oh, you know, I thought it'd be Stripling would be the guy that you would say would be a guy that you would looked up to. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, your coach there, Strip, uh, Sterling. Oh, Sterling. Oh, Sterling. oh, yeah. See, he had to he had to mess up one name. He did it. You know, Rock'em Sock'em, though, I have the whole collection. Everyone has that. If you're a true hockey fan and you have that Rock'em Sock'em, that's what you grew up watching. Don Cherry's stuff was absolutely fantastic. Now... Jay, I want to give you the floor here before we officially wrap up. Do you have anything that you want to uh, give a shout out to, uh, maybe your social media for people to follow or anything that you are involved with in particular that you'd like to give promotion to, a shout out to? I want to give the floor is yours. No, not here to pump anything or promote anything, man. I just uh, I just kind of look at golf and muscle cars and a little bit of hockey on Instagram and <laughs> don't really try to promote anything. I kind of like the moved back to my hometown here that I live in that I grew up in and uh, I'm just buddies with my buddies that I grew up with and just like the lifestyle out here but uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing and and having me on the show is uh, appreciated it's fun to reminisce and bullshit about uh, stuff with like-minded guys and um, yeah I appreciate you guys having me on the show and I I hope your guys is your show does all good things in the future man you guys sound like you're doing a lot of good stuff it's definitely going good and uh, it's definitely you know been great with myself and Brooksy and the crew and to have yourself come on and the guests that we have it's fantastic and certainly uh, we'll when we get you uh, hopefully on the show sometime again in your future maybe with a type of show where you someone that you've played with maybe we'll get Colt Nor on or some down the road and you come on and talk about your Tilly or something you know we uh, it'd be fun to get you on again sometime it was certainly great uh, so I appreciate you taking the time Brooksy I'll let you uh, say your goodbyes I can't have all yeah. the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to thank you for coming. It's uh, uh, really appreciated, and I uh, wish you all the best in the future, my friend. Same to you, man. It's good playing against you, and good to hear from me again. I'm glad to hear things are going good, Brixie. I wish you guys would have fought when you played. That would have been a funny <laughs> it would have been unfair. It would have been unfair. <laughs> I would have been punching his nutsack. <laughs> we, we we would have just been making fun of whatever the gong show of the day was that day, and just chatting on the ice rather than fighting. <laughs> love that now again thank you again to you jay uh brooksy thank you for taking the time and also uh, to everyone in the background with the game sports show the game of media all the listeners make sure you hit like follow subscribe yes i said that on all the platforms of the game which i remind you is on spotify apple amazon podbean podtail facebook instagram and our website thegamesportshow.com just search us on google we're right there uh and i'm now going to get to the famous sign-off line i'd like to call it self-proclaimed famous sign-off line i'd like to remind you to keep your stick on the ice swing your bats catch your touchdowns drain your threes and shoot your shots booyah